Uh, you got a moment? Yeah, come on in. I, uh, uh, I need to speak to you about some lady problems. Okay. You, you know, a after I have sex with Emily, uh, uh, I don't want her in the bed anymore. Ah. Yeah, because she's thrown off my whole sleep. She's got the jimmy leg. Oh. So uh, maybe I should just be honest with her, huh? Tell her after sex you just want her out of there? Well, I'd say it nicely. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, you know, I really like this girl, and I, I you know, I, I think if I could just work out this one yeah, thing... Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. You might be more than just a couple of tweaks away from a healthy relationship. Well, you're not exactly zeroing in on it yourself, lady. All right, get out. March 31st, 2013. Hello and greetings. Good day to you. Jan Pendulums. Yes. What's shaking? Hi. How are you? I am fine. Thank you for asking. I wasn't asking you. Hmm. You were just having an old conversation with yourself. You're just, oh, you don't need me. Just ask yourself a question. Answer it for yourself. You're all done. We could do it that way. Fine. Why don't you then? And by we, I mean me. <laughs> That's not even funny. That was all right. No. You know what? It would be funnier if I were talking to myself right now. <laughs> no. No. Okay, stop. No, seriously. No. Okay. I like that you keep making grand hand gestures while not saying anything. <laughs> you can't help it. You must communicate. Holy crap. A very heavy cat just landed on me. All right. You said I couldn't help it, but I could help it. And then you got mad at me for helping it. So, I blame this on you. Basically, stop helping. <laughs> so I should stop talking again. <laughs> no, that's not helping. See? <laughs> so when I talk, it helps. So you admit that what? you need me to do this show. Uh, oh! Oh, you just... I just I just took your word that I just sliced him up with my little Ginsu knife. What? Uh. <laughs> I didn't even make Ginsu. I don't know. How old am I? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of such a knife. <laughs> You've never heard never. of such a knife? No. All right. We, perhaps we should stop boring the poor folks. Yes, we probably should. This is boring. Well, we don't have a ton to talk about this week, so just oh. a couple of small things. Mm -hmm. I bet they couldn't have guessed that. Never. Last week, merchandise went up in the pendant store for Tabula Rasa, so that is awesome. T-shirts, mugs. All kinds of goodies. Stop by and get those at PendantAudio.com. There's a big graphic right at the top where you can click the link to the store at the left. Either way, and get yourself some Tabula Rasa stuff. Yes, do that. It is a one-stop shop. For all your pendant needs. <laughs> yeah. Right. But the point was that Tabula Rasa merchandise is now up. So It's also a part of that shop well that is the new part that is the news yes it was not previously available so clicky on yon link it is available and travel to yon store over the interwebs now you're stealing my yon i totally used yon earlier than okay, you fine. Advice. yeah do you have anything original to say no okay i appreciate your honesty do you really really you really like it no okay yes now you don't know what I'm saying. Neither do I. That's pretty clear. Mm. Well, what is your problem? You are not on for this episode, no, madam. I'm not. I'm tired. I'm very tired. You're very tired, too. Admit it! <laughs> well, it's, I, I am. Yeah. But we bitch about being tired in every episode. Did you just say a bad word? Children what? might be bitch? listening to this. We <gasps> bitch about it. No, we don't see that on Twip. I think we have. This is not rated. No. This is not rated. Kids, you put your fingers in your ears right now. <laughs> and I'll have a talk with dad here about what he should be saying in the car with the kids. I am not their dad. Don't um, you even. I have not. No. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Okay. No. Just, no. I'm just saying it's slightly inappropriate. What else is there to talk about? Let's move on. <sighs> Merchandise. Okay, that's covered. What else is on your list? Paul Brueggemann. Oh, yeah! 
Who oh. is severely awesome, and I do mean severe. I was really awesome. not sure you should have put severely. Severely Maybe awesome. Maybe seriously. I'm not sure if we mentioned before, but he was doing some uh, assistant directing with Kingery. He's the lead director on Seminar, but he was assisting on Kingery for a couple of episodes to help out and help us get a little bit ahead. And now he's doing the same thing for Tabula Rasa because he is severely awesome. So Seriously, Paul is like so fast. He's like the fastest mixer in the West, guys. Pew, pew. He will like shoot bullets of scenes at you, at Wait. your face. He like just. <laughs> He'll <laughs> shoot bullets of scenes at your face. They come wow. at you so fast. You're like, what the what? It just, just, he'll smack you in the face like this, like scenes. You're like, Paul, I need some scenes. And he's like, pew, 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 pew. So you're saying Paul shoots at your face. <laughs> That's what you're telling everybody. Now, see, isn't this better? Isn't this better? <laughs> see, you were complaining I wasn't on. Oh, I'm now on. Now it's on. <laughs> In any case, oh my God. Well, see, folks, you thought the early bit of the show was boring. You stuck around and look what happened. We're all just scandalized. You should really just edit that first part down. It's bad. Take out at least two, three minutes. Mostly of you talking. Oh, shut up. <laughs> All right, so anyway, <laughs> Paul is awesome and helping out, and so that's cool. That's right, and scenes are just flying. Like, Oh, stop it! <laughs> stop talking about what he's shooting at your face! Oh, oh. Let's just get to this goddamn interview. Ah! From Austin, Texas, we have Mindy Raskinen. Hello. Hello, Mindy. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive the huskiness. I just got back from rehearsal and this show, I'm buried in a 17 tons of dirt. Well, not all at once, but yeah, dust in the air makes my esophagus cry. Well, actually, it's the trachea. Wherever one is responsible for air. (laughs) I think that's the trachea. There you go. I didn't go to med school, but yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of them things, and it's important. <laughs> it, it's useful. It is. So we have questions from the pendulums, and I have a couple of my own as well. I'm so, popular enough that people ask about me. That yes. makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's jump into the line. Ooh, okay. Jump over the line. I guess that would mean we jump rope the with line. the line. You know, yeah. Tie up some lines. No, whichever you prefer. <laughs> so, given the line being one of Pendant's more intense productions, mm-hmm. was there anything? Playing in playing Sister Agnes that um, was awkward or hard to deal with? Uh, I wouldn't say hard to deal with. Um, you know, I know I've gotten, um, as I've gotten older, uh, I've changed the way that I, I kind of view acting. I mean, originally I always, like, I have to be worried about... Um, these opinions that are in deep contrast to my own or certain, you know, physical things that I'd have to do that are against, you know, moral psychological standings. But as, or I hope that made sense. But as I've gotten older and gotten more involved with, you know, the craft and what acting is at, it's, to me, it's like every avenue is just in every emotion, every, you know, whatever, every, uh, mentality, psychology, whatever you want to call it, is just a different aspect of humanity. And the purpose and calling and spirit of an actor is to show those different sides regardless of what they are. So, and because that is showing a different light of humanity. Um, grow, I grew up Catholic, so... 
it was interesting to play a nun who is, you know, in a sense, kind of evil, but, you know, you're never, you never play a quote evil person. The evil, uh, the villain is the hero of their own story. And so for sister Agnes, it was in her mind, she was doing everything that was best for, you know, humanity and for, you know, quote God, whatever God actually was. And then just, I mean, especially when, um, you know, Dila Thang revealed herself and, you know, hell, all hell broke loose. Everything, you know, fell apart. It's total, oh no, everything I've done was completely wrong and how to deal with that. So, so no, and there was nothing that was, um, intense or, or, or irksome about it the the one part that I was just like and I know uh, Chris has mentioned it in one of the commentaries that I was like really really Chris oh okay is that she's doing this kind of spell kind of thing and the the stage direction was as though she's having an orgasm and I'm like really Chris you had to go there yeah, yeah, you did, didn't you? Okay. <laughs> so, um, that one was a little awkward, I suppose, but it's the roll your eyes kind of awkward instead of the eh, kind of awkward. Because with my avant-garde theater, there's really nothing that I haven't done. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, having been raised Catholic... Mm-hmm. Did you find, um, how did you find the, the mysticism? The mysticism, I've, I've always been um, fascinated with like mythology and mysticism. So I, I've never been offended by, and, well, as well as growing up Catholic, I also grew up in an international school in Nairobi, Kenya. So I was surrounded by different faiths, different nationalities, different sects of everything. And so I I grew up to be very, very tolerant and very, very understanding of a bunch of different religions. And now, while I don't exactly know what I believe in, it it tends to be more geared towards the Unitarian Baha'i kind of stuff, which is, you know, there's truth in everything. It's just a different way of looking at it. So, so that's the way I viewed it. And to me, I, I wish that, you know, Chris had gone a bit more into why the heroes were chosen specifically. Because if you have a good versus evil, why have an atheist be your leader? Why have a science-focused um, person be the prophet? You know, these things that are diametrically opposed to one another, and yet they were specifically chosen for a reason. And why was something that I, I really wish they'd gotten more into. Yeah, they, he got into it a little bit more he with got into uh, a Kat's bit. character. Yeah, and I know that he had wanted to go more into um, further seasons about going into, like, Islam, and I actually gave him uh, a Quran that I had for him to research, and then after that it was going to go into the pagan religions, which he was going to, I'm connected to a pagan-centric theater company, so I would have given him a lot of information about that, it's just, you know, he wasn't able to continue the series, so... Sadness. Sadness. And a frowny face at the end. <laughs> emoticon. <laughs> Audio emoticons. I think we're onto something here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit and okay. go over to Kingery. All right. And you were Jill. I, yes, I've been Jill. Occasionally I get brought back as Jill. Um, I also just got cast as Emily, who I'm not sure how much I can give away or not, but in the audition you had to be able to at least pretend you knew French, so that should give you a clue as to 
what and who she is connected to. Um, yeah, those are my two from Kingery. I've done bit parts here and there, but... So what, uh, what stands out from uh, playing Jill? From playing Jill, really the thing that stands out most, honestly, is something that Alicia said in the commentaries, actually, is that she said, I I received the best compliment I have ever gotten about my acting ever from her. And it was in Jill's first appearance. And she said that, you know, she wrote Jill as a blow off, as just, you know, someone there, I guess, I guess for exposition or something, but not really having any kind of characterization or any intention or anything like that. And she goes, but because of the way I portrayed her as this snarky bitch that she, she, because of my portrayal, she loved the character as a result. And it's like, I made an, a writer. Wow. That was over enunciated. I made a writer like their character. And that, to me, you know, is like, what? I'm talented? Oh, my gosh. Uh, but as for the character itself, um, I think a lot of it is, like, some of the backstory that you never know about. I mean, she's a snarky bitch, but, like, the, the one of the things that you kind of hear a little bit is an improv that I put in when she's first, and again in the first episode, when she's first going to Regina and she's, you know, bitching about the way Hooks treated her and she goes, you know, if I wanted to listen to abuse, I'd call Mother more. And and just having this backstory of her, her family that, you know, I don't know completely, but I have inklings in my head and and in all honesty, and don't tell her I said this, which you won't because she doesn't listen to these things. I actually kind of base that relationship off my husband and mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I won't tell. Okay. Yeah, Kathy, I tolerate you. <laughs> You're not supposed to like your mother-in-law. It's a rule. <laughs> I've heard that. I'm, yeah. I'm actually fortunate. Yes. My dad apparently, not apparently, he's also been very fortunate in that. But I at least don't have to deal with the husband that prefers mother over, over wife. He's uh, like, yeah. yeah, he's like, eh, no. <laughs> so it's like, at least I have that. Yeah, that's uh, a special kind of dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. So congratulations on being in the few who have taken Snarky Bitch and made it a compliment. Woohoo! <laughs> um, well, I, I look forward to hearing more of you in the Kingery. As, Why, thank you. As those come up. I hope I am able to speak French correctly and not inadvertently insult some Parisian somewhere. Uh, well, I'm not going to be able to tell the difference. <laughs> I, I live in Texas. I don't know... French, I barely know Spanish. <laughs> but I play one on TV. There you oh. go. Um, Tabula Rasa. Yes. Our grand and glorious new show. Indeed. Um, we going to get some more of you? You are going to get some more of me. Um, you got a little bit in this last episode that came out of you know, Grandma Eleanor Bulow, which I find hilarious that I got that role because when you think of me, you think a black grandma from Chicago. That's what you think um, because I scream black grandmother from Chicago. Uh, Yeah, for those that don't know what I look like, I am so white, I think of the sun and I get a sunburn, okay? <laughs> it's all the Irish. Um, and I also find it funny that uh, Chris, 
who is up in Dallas and is also a whitey, whitey, white girl, is my daughter. Um, yeah, this girl, she was one of my bridesmaids, and I'm playing her mother. Uh, <laughs> but as well as her, um, in these la- latest scripts, I haven't been playing her. I've actually been playing the bigger role of uh, Sanvi McGrath, who is a um, member of a uh, Homeland Security. And so, and also Indian, because when you think of me, you think melanin. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, she is showing to have a much, much bigger part. And so I'm like, hey, scripts, so I know what's going on. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you will be hearing a lot more of me in, in Tabula Rasa. Awesome. Awesome. That show is becoming very multifaceted. It is. It's it's interesting to see where it's going because I I've gotten the the script for episode ten right now, and I'm still not quite sure what all the answers are yet. I'm not sure we know what all the questions are yet. That too, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of different little threads going on. I'm, I'm very intrigued with with where it's going. The answer is 42. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's another show I want to talk about, but I want to leave that... You tell. Oh. I want to leave that because I have a feeling that's going to be a much longer conversation. Oh, I think I know which one. Yes. Um, So... Any interest in writing... Um, honestly, no. Um, I don't think I'm very good at it. Uh, and, you know, that may just be my prejudice. But my, my passion has always been taking characters and playing with them. I mean, that's, that's how my acting started to begin with is, you know, oh, woe is me. I was you know, grew up as the unpopular kid. And so I spent a lot of time on the playground by myself, making up characters and putting them into my favorite TV shows. And that is how my acting started. And, and I have long involved Mary Sue's that I still play with to this day, (laughs) which I can inflict on you if you really choose to. Uh, listen. One could argue that that is a form, it's not writing it down, but that is a form of creation. It is a form of creation. That is very true. But, you know, there are different forms of creation. And it just seems my, my niche is the taking something and bringing it to life aspect of it. Not so much as the taking the threads of it and putting it into some cohesiveness which is the job of writers but my husband is actually a writer so it works out yes we actually and this is the part where people go ah is we actually met where he um makes up his own uh role-playing games and so i actually met him he was the game master our characters actually ended up getting married, and so we based our wedding around this game. And everyone <laughs> dressed up in steampunk, and in the program, everyone was a character. Yeah, um, one of my bridesmaids got to be an Arabian, <laughs> an Arabian chick with a knife. I mean, <laughs> you know. Would one of those bridesmaids be someone we we know? Uh. Not that one wouldn't be, but Chris and Kat were bridesmaids. They were, um, they played the two British Victorian sisters of of Drake, who's my husband, who's the groom. Uh, and actually, David David Alt uh, co officiated, and he was a British vicar who had come, you know, was essentially doing some missionary work <laughs> in, in town, and. Yeah, so, yes, the three of them very made me very happy they got to be a part of my wedding. That's very cool. So yeah. did, it, did it get to the point where someone, the, the officiant said, do you, and then somebody heard some dice rolling? 
and then nodded, and then you say, yes, I do. That would have been awesome, but no. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I did have an aerial routine. Um, Not by me. I am not at all graceful. Uh, But actually, one of my dear friends started up an aerial troupe called Sky Candy, which has actually started this big craze of aerial um, circus stuff going on in the city. And he, as his wedding gift to me, was doing a routine. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Sky Candy is awesome for those that are around. Go see them. (laughs) If you're ever in Austin. Exactly. Okay, so not so much with the writing. Not so much with writing, but you know, uh, uh, give me something and I will make it real. Yeah, and actually my husband, uh, he wrote wrote a play that we're hoping to get produced. Not not hoping, we're going to get it produced cool. um, in, in January, so. Awesome. Yeah, it's a musical. Oh. Yay. <laughs> so um, how about directing? Oh, so scary. Um, <laughs> well... Uh, I'm thinking more of a live action kind of thing. I've co-directed um, a couple plays before, and I'm yeah, well, not a couple. I've co-directed one, and I'm going to be co-directing uh, my husband's one. So this for this for audio, possibly because it's more. I don't have to be in front of people and have to make rehearsals and pressure and ah, I'm going to run away screaming. Um, so, but it, it would be more a, a time thing because I am, as you can tell by how hard it was to get an interview, uh, I am often away at rehearsals and, and performances and, you know, I'm not home very often. So, so be like, all right, make this show. Okay. And then the due date. I got three lines done. Um, that's not good. <laughs> oh, no. Uh. The, the time thing is definitely a challenge. You're not alone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From what I hear. <laughs> so, you during acting outside of Pendant. Um before we jump into that, what kind of roles do you think, let's start inside of Pendant, okay. what, what kind of roles would you like to get your hands on, or your vocal cords on? Vocal cords on? Well, uh. <laughs> that is a very loaded question. Do you mean like in shows that are already there, or in shows that haven't been made yet? What are you talking about here? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, that's... Thank you, Captain Vague. Uh, Either or both. Either or both. Okay. Um, well, with, with some other companies that I've worked with, I mean, that's the awesome thing about audio. And actually, um, because of working with Pendant, and, and now I'm working with you know, a good chunk of other, other people, but Pendant was really my start. It was through, through working with I keep saying working a pendant make the stupid sentence um that I did, I realized that I really want to be a voice actor and so um but early on in particular I've really gotten the sexy roles in a sense whether or not you know it's that's part of the characterization well obviously it is part of the characterization because that's that's the way I'm making voice, but, um, you know, the sort of dark, sexy, uh, often villainous types. And, you know, in, in a couple other shows, I've gotten to branch away from that, but it'd be, it'd be nice to get to do more of the ingenue type, um, because that's not a part I get, you know, when live, Live, I am a very tall, very big woman, so I tend to get the either comic relief or the sorceress queen strong people. And then in audio, a lot of my roles are the, again, big, strong, 
sexy is interesting because that's never been a role I've gotten live. Uh, um, except that one Ionesco where I had three noses and ten fingers, which was odd. Uh, that was the sexy role. Uh, but Okay. <laughs> yeah, Ionesco is weird. Um, uh, but there's one show that I got with... Uh, with not broken sea, uh, scattered sounds, uh, which is an adapt, which is a continuation of the show Strange Paradise, which was this um, gothic soap opera that went around the same time as Dark Shadows, mm-hmm. and I got the part of the mousy librarian, and you now being the mousy anything is something completely new for me. I mean, not that it's hard or anything, but it's just something new. And it's like, hey, I get to be small and nerve. Well, not well, she's kind of nervous. Small and uh, kind of ditzy. Well, she's not kind of ditzy, but uh, but kind of weak. That's something that I have really not gotten to play because of the way I look and the way I sound. So, so being the being the little little girls. Well, not necessarily like little girls in quotation marks, but like, you know, the the sweet, the innocent, the, those are parts that I just don't tend to get, bec- again, because I don't know, I'm, I'm big and burly. Uh, so that would be interesting to get more of those. Okay. And the joy of voice acting is that it's okay that I'm big and burly. I can be little if I want to be. Yay! <laughs> So yeah, that was a long and convoluted answer. Hopefully you can piece together my explanation <laughs> from that. No, uh, that, that's, that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about stuff you do outside of Pendant. Okay. Um, you play in Dirt. Yes, I play in Dirt. Uh I am a member of the Vortex Repertory Company, which is this avant-garde theater in Austin. Uh, It's um, one of the, it's like the premier avant-garde theater in Austin. And um, it's very pagan-centric. A lot of the work is very ritual-based. And this, um, this one I'm doing, it actually will have opened the night before this airs. Uh, so, fingers crossed. Um, it's called Earth. It's the fourth out of five in an Elemental series, and it's actually uh, been featured in American Theater Magazine, which is this national magazine about theater. I've, I've gotten to be in that, that magazine twice now. Yay! Um, and so... It's, if you want odd theater, <laughs> go there. And as well as, yeah, and as well as that, um, Bonnie, who's the artistic director, she does all the sort of pagan, ritualistic, spiritual stuff that, that makes up it. And then there's Chad. And if you know Genesis Avalon, you have heard a lot of Chad's music. Um, Chad does the ethos operas, which I have been in a couple of them. And Chad, oh, I love the man, but as Drake puts it, uh, someday I will beat him over the head with a narrative stick. Uh, and and Drake has said that to him, and he's like, no, spectacle! Um, but his stuff is just, he lives in anime world, so a lot of his stuff is really, really weird and crazy. And, like, you know, the last one I did was Vampirus, which is all about Elizabeth Bathory, uh, the bloody countess. So there was a lot of... And and there are three things that are always part of a Chad show. And it's some form of mysticism, uh, a lesbian makeout, and nudity. Somewhere. It's gonna be in there. It's clockwork. There's one where he got a grant where he couldn't put in the lesbians and the nudity. And he, he even said, he's like, I'll have to hold back my hand. No girls kissing. No boobies. Ah! And he's like, oh, Chad, why am I not surprised? <laughs> but yeah, those are the, that's, that's uh, 
where I do a good chunk of my stuff. But then, you know, I've done theater all over town with, you know, a ton of different companies. And there's actually an audition for Avenue Q coming up. So I'm like, excitement. So, yeah, <laughs> give me good vibes. I really want to be in that show. Uh, well, good luck yeah. with that. Why, thank you. So uh, I have to ask the what, what I think is the obvious question. Okay. Um, you said that Dirt is in an elemental series, and it is number four of five. Yes. And it almost pains me to ask this, but what is the fifth element? Spirit. Ah, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I was going for a uh, movie joke No, it's there. not hard. <laughs> uh, yes. Although for the thing that we were initially supposed to put on the altar at the start of our workshops, I knit up a earth ring. You know, I knit up Kwame's ring to put on the altar. <laughs> so there you go. And one of my characters from a child that I put into my TV show was Emily from Australia with her pet koala who had the power of plants who came after Wheeler and right before Linka. <laughs> so there, I told you I got... I, I was specific. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So the other thing mm -hmm. that, you know, in some of our previous conversations that we've talked about that you do apparently a lot of, and we're in, in Pendant, is Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And you're most recently Lady Macbeth. Yes. Uh, you said it. You are cursed forever. No, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, some people get really, really have big issues with the, oh, no, you said the name. We are cursed for all eternity. It's like, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. No, that curse can get in line. Right? <laughs> Although I do think it's hilarious. A BBC did a version called Shakespeare Retold. And it's not the plays, but it's the stories of the plays, modernized. And they did Macbeth as like a five-star restaurant and Macbeth was the head chef. And, you know, Macbeth is saying something very esoteric and someone goes, well, that's very Gordon Ramsay. And everyone just looks at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's not the joke. And Everyone looks at him, and so they start to go back uncomfortably to their work. And one of them goes, it's like, we don't say that name here. Just call him the Scottish chef. And I'm like, oh, I love you so much right now. <laughs> because only actors will get that joke. <sighs> uh, that made me lose my train of thought. Um, I'm good at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, So the modernization of, of Shakespeare, they've been doing that for a while now. Um, I've always thought of West Side Story as a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, and well, I know I'm not the only it, one. Well, it, it blatantly is. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, In, you know, it's, you have a very limited amount of plays, and so you got to do something, something with them to keep them new. I mean, I know... Uh, Austin Shakespeare, not too long ago, did Romeo and Juliet as um, Hispanic, and so they were at Juliet's quinceanera. Mm. And actually the best, uh, one of the best shows I've actually ever seen was uh, Zilker doing, not Zilker, Zach Scott doing Shakespeare's R&J. Not Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's R&J is the name of it, where it's these for schoolboys, like Catholic schoolboys in their boarding school, they start out saying all the rules of thou shalt not, blah, 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 blah. And then they run off one night to perform Romeo and Juliet. And the awakening of these boys, like, you know, you have the guy playing Romeo and the guy playing Juliet. And when they actually have to be, you know, the characters, they sort of wait, wait a minute, I just kissed a boy and I kind of liked it. And and then there's the clear cut of the beginning and the end where it's you have their acting. And then at one point during act, act three, Romeo just takes the, the, the text, closes it and goes, act three, scene 
seen. And then he looks at them and goes, seen. And they become. And then the tragedy of it is when the school bell rings and everyone except Romeo turns their back and walks away. And it's like, <gasps> that is a show that I was so excited about it. I, I, the very next day I was there watching it because it was closing night. And I'm like, I have to see this again. This is beautiful. So, yeah. And that was Modern Dice too, so. So you've done a lot in Shakespeare. Um, a fair amount, yeah. And I believe you've got an upcoming role in Penn. I do. I am a dogberry in Much Ado About Nothing. For those that only know the film, that was Michael Keaton. Uh, And a film upcoming. That is true. That is true. Josh Whedon is in it. Joss, not Josh. Yeah, he's doing it, isn't he? Yep. Uh, Nathan Fillion is playing the lead. Okay. That should be interesting. There's actually, um, I studied abroad for a summer uh, up in Stratford, so I got to see, and and at that time there was like this year-long festival of all of Shakespeare's plays because they were moving into a different building, and um, one of the best ones I saw was Much Ado, where they set it in 1950s Cuba, and uh, John the Bastard, whatever his real whatever his full name is, uh, he was a revolutionary. He was like Che Rivera type, type. And, and, uh, and it, and the guy playing Claudio was actually just as interesting and funny as Benedict, which is unheard of. And I'm like, kudos, man, you're awesome. Yeah. That one, the Kabuki style, uh, Japanese version of Titus Andronicus, which was, which was, that one was mind blowing as well. That the Indian version of Midsummer Night's Dream, where they had it, it was an Indian company that did it in like you know twenty different languages or so. That was the first time I saw Titania because that was my first big lead was Titania. It is the first time I have seen her where I went, thank you, you are acceptable. I pass the hat to you, and thank you for making her damn ending work. That always pissed me off was what happened to Tanya. And now it's like, there, this ending I can accept. Thank you, Indian lady, that (laughs) I don't know your name. You made me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that was a long rant. (laughs) So, I know I'm not the only one in this, and... Maybe it's just a product of the things that I've been interested in over the course of my life. Mm -hmm. But I've always had a hard time getting into Shakespeare. I remember in 10th grade, I said to my English teacher, why don't they update it? And she looked at me horrified. (laughs) You do not update Shakespeare. Which apparently, we've just disproven, but... Right. I've, yeah, that's totally wrong. I've uh, always had a hard time getting into Shakespeare, and and some of it I've had a really hard time following. And, you know, that is one of the problems with um, anything that uh, is – well, I wouldn't say it's a translation. But, yeah, a lot of people do get bogged down with the fact that it's old English and the fact that this is – you know, they, they use words and references that people don't use anymore. Like a lot, a lot of comedic scenes, they're making jokes that are like, what? I don't, because they're making jokes that would make sense to an Elizabethan audience. Um, like all the stuff, anything in Shakespeare that is a reference to Roman Roman stuff and Roman mythology. Well, that was because at that time they had recently found a, what was it, Pompeii? No, but they'd found this really big archaeological Roman site. And so everybody was excited about ancient Rome again. But, you know, that's not nowadays. So I understand why people are uh, get really frustrated with Shakespeare. And I understand the other part of it being the teachers that get, and well, 
actors too that are like, well, you're just a Philistine and don't get it. I mean, I, one of my professors, I mean, I would have debates with her. I, I mean, she, I think she actually let me do it because she thought I was smart, but it's like, I, she hated the fact that I would talk back <laughs> about, wait a minute. Like one of the things that she said was like, Shakespeare has no subtext. And I'm like, um, that's bull. Go to Romeo and Juliet. One of the classic scenes is where Juliet is talking to her mom after Romeo has been banished. And she's there talking as though she's talking about how sad she is about Tybalt when she's really longing for Romeo. Bam! Blatant subtext. How can you tell me that it isn't? But that's my little rant about Dr. I won't say her name. Anyway, but, but the way to do it, I mean... I wouldn't, I'll admit that, I mean, even as, because words do, I've never had a really big problem with the language. I mean, they've always had the notes at the bottom that I've been able to follow. And also with studying it so much, it's become easier too. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, if you just look to it the way you look at any other script, you know, look, I mean, that same teacher that I was talking about, I remember answering a question once and she goes, yeah, well, you're looking at it like an actor. And I was like, well, it's a play. It's, it's for actors. That's what you're supposed to look at it like. Um, I'm, I'm confused. Uh, but How is that a criticism? <laughs> right? Exactly. And it's just, you know, at the core of it, I mean... You have, you know, the big, the, the thing that I particularly think is so engaging about Shakespeare, and part of this is just knowing history, is that Shakespeare in the writing of that time, I mean, not just him, but he's the one that got all the credit, is that characters went from morality plays to realistic plays. Um, well, I mean, you know, realistic in quotes because there's a lot of magic in many of them. Sure. Yeah, but it's like, to that point, theater was used as a way to tell people the Bible. I mean, every man is the one big example of that, the medieval theater. You have, this is the moral person, this is the person you're supposed to be, these are all the vices that you're supposed to avoid, um, and, and that's how you be a good Christian person. And, you know, and this is obviously West specifically Western, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but then come, you know, Shakespeare's time and, you know, this also applies to Marlowe and all those guys, but you had characters who are real. You have people, I mean, you have people that are thinking about, their pain, they're thinking about their love, they're thinking about their lust, and they're doing it in a way that isn't just, I'm a stereotype. Um, and it's also surprisingly liberal. I mean, even liberal by today's standards. Like, um, you have, you know, Othello, perfect example. Othello. He is the head general, or I think he's a general. It's been a while since I've read it. But a head military officer married his boss's daughter, who is a white woman, and he is a Moor. That makes him at least of Arabic descent or African, probably Muslim, Elizabethan Europe. They had just gone through a huge revolt to ch- in order to affirm Anglicanism, Christianity, hero, black, probably Muslim, uh, white Christian boy, villain. Uh, you have the Merchant of Venice, and while Shylock is the villain, he still gets to say. If the if you prick us, do we not bleed speech? It's a we 
I am a human being too, even though I'm a Jew. Again, Elizabethan English, incredibly anti-Semitic, and yet here is humanizing a Jew. And then you get to Macbeth, and Macbeth is actually, I mean, uh, one thing I love about, you know, going back to the original question after going off on long trains of thought, is that it's so interesting to see the character studies in the, in the realism created by the plays. And that you have, with Macbeth, actually has my favorite moment in all of Shakespeare in it. And the thing about Macbeth, essentially, I mean, in the I am writing an essay about um, Shakespeare, it is Macbeth deals with the question of what does it mean to be a man? And you see that through Lady Macbeth, which is kind of odd, versus Macduff. I mean, from the very start of seeing Lady Macbeth, you see her, you know, she asks the spirits to take away every aspect of her womanhood. They take her, you know, one of her lines is, you know, take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers. And back then, um, they thought that they believed in the humors, which is, you know, the various fluids in your body controlled emotion. Right. And so she asks, she's asking the spirits to take away her milk, take away her motherly aspects. That is compassion, uh, nurturing love and replace it for gall, which is, yeah. What is gall? But it, I, I believe it has, it's like, not stubbornness, that's spleen. Um, but, you know, taking away the compassion, filling it with uh, blind ambition. Um, she, she uh, and then every time that Macbeth goes, hey, this is actually really not a good idea to kill Duncan. Um, we really shouldn't do it. The first thing she says, or one of the first things she always says is, are you a man? Be a man. Stop being a little girl who's worried about um, empathy and nurturing and concern for other people. Be a man. What does it mean to be a man? It means trampling over everyone you can to get to the top. It means complete self-absorption. It means, you know, doing anything you can to get your own power and success with no regard for every, anyone around you. That is what it means to be a man. And yet, they are the villains. Move to Macduff. My favorite moment is when he is with Malcolm and he's trying to convince Malcolm to come back and take his throne. And I think it's Ross that comes in. It's either Ross or Lennox and tells him that, hey, Macbeth just killed your family. You know, you know, wife, it's like, I think, babes, wife, servants, all that could be found. Right. And he's and he starts to cry as any normal person would do in that situation. And what is the first thing Malcolm says to him is, you know, thy tears are womanish. You know, be a man. Stop crying. Be a man. Turn your your tears to anger, which is an acceptable male emotion. And Macduff turns right back at him and goes, I shall do so but I must also feel it like a man. How, letting men have emotion, letting them feel, letting them cry, all these things, those are things that even nowadays is not considered proper. I mean, you know, that you're either a pussy or you're gay for showing any kind of vulnerability. And here, back in Shakespeare Day, he's going, men, it's okay for you to cry. It is okay to not bottle up your feelings. It is okay to let that out. It doesn't make you any less of a man. It, in fact, makes you more of one because you're owning up to it. 
Now look at those people over there who were all about shutting off their, shutting off all their theor- um, feelings, only caring about themselves, not having any sense of compassion or empathy for anybody, you know, and they're calling back to each other. Like, you know, Macbeth said, you know, your children, you're so manly that all your kids, all our kids are going to be boys. I mean, he said that to her, you know, it's like, they're the ones who think they're being the strong man. And yet Macduff is the hero and he's the one crying. And I think that's such a relevant statement. And I think it's such a beautiful statement. And, you know, and, and that you can find those and pretty much, I mean, obviously there are exceptions to, to things just because, you know, that that's life, but you will find that in, all of his work. You just have to, you know, see the characters as as the human beings that they are. And that's why I like Shakespeare. Well, that definitely uh, adds a perspective. It does. Probably the most educational interview I've done so far. <laughs> I've studied a lot. I'm a smart, I'm a college graduate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how, well, <laughs> but let's skip that one. Um, oh, you're skipping. Yeah. What, uh, what do you, um, uh, want to promote for your own you know there there's a soapbox there is a soapbox okay well um i mean i've already mentioned you know some of the theater like you know earth's coming up if you're in austin um for those that only listen to pendants uh i I mentioned the scattered sounds. You can find me as Emily Blair in the, uh, Strange Paradise. Um, I'm also actually, I was actually really excited to be in cast as a, one of the replacement actors in the Byron Chronicles, which is with Darker Projects. And I think that is an incredibly good show. I, I take over the role as Officer Catherine, who... Um, I forget who did it before. I think it was Megan. Anyway, I could be wrong. But, you know, she, and that's, uh, if you love David Alt, he's Byron. Uh, I noticed that in a lot of shows I'm in um, with different companies, I'm usually the one that either hates David or is trying to kill him or succeeding in killing him. I find that bizarre because he's one, <laughs> he's one of my best friends. And it's like, we could, we talk to each other all the time. And it's like, Let's see, in this one, I hate you because you turned me into a zombie. Um, This one, I do kill you. Uh, This one, I'm trying to kill you and haven't succeeded yet, but I hope I will, Uh, et cetera, and so forth. Um, But yeah, I am uh, Officer Catherine in the Byron Chronicles. Not too many of them have have come out yet with me in it, but I I was like, Eric get busy on those um for the ones with pendant uh, you didn't mention genesis avalon which i am also in oh. and, and uh yeah i am mysterious woman which in episode 43 you finally get to find out who she is which i have known for at least a year and a half to two years before my first episode because cat can't keep a secret and <laughs> she can't i love it too because i I feed off of gossip. I don't spread it. I'm just like, I want to belong. And, uh, but I have my uh, own theories because <laughs> when we're recording this, mm-hmm. it's between the time that the Asara arc had finished and the rest right. of season four hasn't come out yet. But right. I, I have my own theories as to what's happening. Cause she's, she dropped some things in, in that last commentary. So if you haven't heard the Asara arc, Yet, go listen to those episodes of Genesis Avalon. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. And listen to the commentaries. And make sure you catch up on the rest of the show, too. Because 
there are some pieces you might put together, or at least. And the little bits of Voice of Freedom, if you want to catch those. I yes. don't know if I up yet. But yeah, that's something outside of Pennant you have to go to a specific site for. Um, but yeah, so in episode 43, you get to find out, you know, why when she first appeared, she was helping out Lilith. Why later on was she, you know, hanging out with Obsidian, but was mocking him and <laughs> seems to know a lot of stuff that... Other people don't. So, yeah, that's me being all mysterious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. I've done a, a lot of bit parts here and there, but, I mean, those those are the, the big ones. Um, uh, with scattered, I mean, they're one-off things, like I've done... You know, some old-timey stuff with scattered sounds. I was the, the main um, main character in Zero Hour, so if you like Ray Bradbury. Uh, and, uh, and then just sort of give me good vibes because I just, you know, a couple months ago I got my first agent, and so send me vibes to get me sent out on stuff so I can, like, launch my career and things. <laughs> well, I think we all wish you good luck in that. You. <laughs> All right. Mindy, thank you very much. Yay. This was definitely um, an educational and fun, fun Yay. interview. Good. <laughs> I'm always for fun. That was one of the big worries about my wedding was people would think it was boring, so I made a lot of effort into it. And even now, people are like, that was the best wedding ever. I loved it. So I'm like, yay, I succeeded. <laughs> Thank you much. Yay. Bye. Welcome. Bye. It's over. It's over. It's over. Just the interview. It's over. Coming out Wednesday, April 3rd. <clears throat> Season 6, <laughs> Episode 8 of The Kingery. It wasn't that funny. It was when you turned Muppet in the middle. And that way you do. Next time on The Kingery. Tithia. Stop. Just... Don't start. I, I don't need a lecture right now. Then I'll do my best not to do too much preaching, but you're going to hear me out. You'll have to trust me when I say I can understand how you're feeling. It's never easy losing people we love. It doesn't seem fair. And hell, most of the time it ain't fair. Nothing about my life is fair. That may be so, but think about what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. You and I, we've been close. Right? Yes. Mr. Akel, we've been very close. All right, you know what? I don't have time for this sullen brat act you've decided to put on. Go home. I'm not sure I understand, Mr. Akel. Go home, Major. Take a pill, get a massage, whatever you have to do, do it. And then, whatever this is, drop it. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, all right? We don't know how old that address is. She could be long gone. Yeah, 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 you doomsaying diva. Aren't you at least the tiniest bit excited? I'm really not sure what to think. I, I, I guess part of me wants to meet my mom, but most of me just don't want to be disappointed, you know? Like if you don't find her? Yeah, that. And what if I do find her and she don't want nothing to do with me? Only at PendantAudio.com Coming out Wednesday, April 10th, Part 4 of The Sonnets, which is a Pendant Shakespeare production. Alack, what poverty my muse brings forth. That having such a scope to show her pride, the argument all bear is of more worth than when it hath my added praise beside. Oh, blame me not if I no more can write. Look in your glass, and there appears a face that overgoes my blunt invention quite, dulling my lines and doing me disgrace. Were it not sinful, then, striving to mend, to mar the subject that before was well? For to no other pass my verses tend than of your graces and your gifts to tell. And more, 
Much more than in my verse can sit, your own glass shows you when you look in it. La la la, the show is almost done. That is the end of the show. Yep, that's it. So, um, I don't know anything. Any any last words for the folks? <laughs> any last <laughs> words? Finally, after so many years of marriage, so many, <laughs> at least three. You're going to kill me. <laughs> Finally, the day has come. Any last words? <laughs> For this episode! Oh! I yeah. thought that what you could maybe infer that on your own, mm. but clearly, I, see. I expect too much of you. Mm. So. You know what? I think I'm done. <laughs> then get out. Be sure to stop by the website at pendantaudio.com, the Yahoo group at groups.yahoo.com slash group slash pendant, the live journal community at community.livejournal.com slash pendant audio, the Facebook page at facebook.com slash pendant audio, the Twitter feed at twitter.com slash pendant web, and the Tumblr at pendantaudio.tumblr.com. We'll see you back here in two weeks. This is Susan Bridges. And Jeffrey Bridges. Thanks for listening. episode was boring and then inappropriate yeah why is there no middle ground (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect that's exactly how you should end this he will like shoot bullets of scenes at you at your face